0: Welcome to Quick Bites by Mind Over Food. I'm Andy Friedman, and today we're gonna to talk to neuropsychologist, Dr. Jenica Engler. Dr. Jennica is a licensed psychologist, neuropsychologist, and clinical scientist, specializing in the diagnosis of mood, anxiety, attention, and autism spectrum disorders. She is the enrollment specialist for Adams Clinical, which conducts clinical trials for a variety of FDA-approved and novel antidepressant and Alzheimer treatments. So, Dr. Jenica, welcome to the Quick Bites podcast for Mind Over Food. What a pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for having
1: me.
0: So, tell us a little bit about uh, your work as a research scientist, because normally on this podcast we sort of talk about, and we will talk about, of course, you know, uh, wellness from the part of maybe treatment, diagnosis, treatment, tips and tricks, what you can do to maximize your wellness. But I think our listeners would be interested a little bit about your research and um, how you got into that.
1: Yeah, so um, so by my training, I'm a, I'm a psychologist. I have been doing a lot of pediatric neuropsychology and uh, therapy. And I had been doing some consulting for Adams Clinical, which runs a variety of different uh, treatment studies. So um, they've done, you know, some pediatric depression studies, and are now mainly focused on adult depression uh, and branching onto some Alzheimer's um, studies. So we do a variety of um, different studies for things that are both FDA approved, because we really want to see, you know, if people who present differently with different symptoms of depression respond to, say, Prozac, over Wellbutrin. Uh, but then we also look at some more investigational. Um, drugs, things that are the novel rapid-acting antidepressants that a lot of uh, companies have been coming out with more recently, such as esketamine. Uh, I got into research because um, accessing mental health services can be really difficult for some people. uh, And, you know, um, there are insurance hurdles, co-pays. There's a lot of time that's invested for things like therapy. And um, medication management has... um, you know, has been proven to be about as effective as therapy its own. So, therapy on its own, medication on its own, they're about equally as effective for most mood disorders. But when you combine them, that's when you see the biggest kind of um, bang for your buck, as I like to say. So, uh, I'm happy that you know I've been able to kind of um, bridge both both of those gaps.
0: Yeah, that's really great. I know that you mentioned that therapy or treatment in general is really hard to access. And right now with the pandemic, it is just uber hard to to access. I mean, just tenfold. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing or hearing about or reading about in terms of COVID-19 and its related uh, depression and anxiety?
1: Yeah, so uh a lot of people right now are dealing with um, you know increased stressors right because we are in the midst of a global pandemic yeah. uh, there is no normal right now uh, everybody seeks up this new normal but what is normal anyways right so yeah um, you know people are dealing with uh, working from home managing you know family life financial stressors people who might have lost their jobs lost their health insurance uh, You know, there's um, the stress of, you know, social isolation that comes along with having to social distance. We don't have our normal support networks that we use when uh, we are feeling down or stressed or, you know, just need somebody to talk to. There's something to be said about, you know, the intimacy of human touch and closeness, like, you know, being able to give people, being able to give people hugs. Um, And that's been replaced with a fear of closeness. So, you know, somebody gets too close to you at the grocery store and it kind of heightens your your central nervous system, that kind of fear response. Uh, So things have really changed for a lot of people and we are seeing increased rates of depression and anxiety. Um, But at the same time, I also want to normalize some of what people are experiencing because, uh, you know, as I said, these are unprecedented times. We are in the midst of a pandemic. It would be abnormal to be feeling completely normal right now and to be, you know, as chipper as usual. Um, So, you know, not everybody who's experiencing some mood symptoms are necessarily um, clinically depressed or clinically anxious. Um, But, you know, after six months of this, you know, time frame that we would typically say is an adjustment period, like we give people about six months after a major life stressor. So think births, deaths, job losses, major kind of stressors in your life. To experience symptoms that are very similar to depression um, or you know clinical anxiety, and then after that six months passes, that's when we start thinking hmm, you know this might be entering you know more of a clinical major depressive disorder or a generalized anxiety, or you know um, we we start thinking more clinically about um, treatment as opposed to supportively. So that's where a lot of people are at right now. Um, they're kind of on that juxtaposition between you know. Is this normal adjustment issues or are we getting towards more of, you know, some sort of um, neurobiological, neurochemical sort of changes in the brain that are leading to these symptoms persisting?
0: I'm, I'm so glad that you you brought that up because I don't think, especially people who haven't in the past experienced these symptoms, I, I don't think that they or even realize that, well, is what we like to say in in our, in our field, it's appropriate to the situation, right? <laughs> but, and people might not be realizing that it is an adjustment and that some of their mood and anxiety issues are normal. And when you might want to seek treatment um, if you are experiencing uh, some of these symptoms and, and who to reach out to really.
1: Yeah. So uh, that's, that's always kind of the, the difficult question, right? Because many people are very self-aware and they might know that, you know, this might be a depression. I need to get help, but others, you know, they might struggle for months or even years with symptoms of depression or anxiety and and never, you know, realize that there's help out there. Um, And as I said, there, there are certain hurdles right now, especially even more so than regularly to getting help. Um, So, you know, in, in terms of what to kind of look for uh, when deciding if you know, maybe you need professional help. Um, for depression, that would be you know, feelings of sadness, hopelessness, a lack of interest, inability to enjoy things most of the day, nearly every day for two weeks, along with other symptoms. So symptoms like uh, sleeping issues. So trouble falling asleep, waking too frequently, waking earlier in the morning or sleeping too much. Um, appetite disturbances, so eating, you know, far less or being way less hungry than normal, or eating way more than normal. Um, concentration difficulties can often be a, a symptom of depression, as well as other um, clinical disorders. Uh, and then, oftentimes with depression, you get this kind of crushing fatigue, this loss of energy, lack of motivation. So, um, not to mention, you know, feelings of guilt, or for some people, even thoughts of self-harm or killing uh, oneself. So once you start noticing those happening most of the day, nearly every day for a couple of weeks, we've really gone past the point of it just being an adjustment disorder towards more of a major depression. And then, you know, thinking about anxiety, you know, it's very much in vogue right now to have, you know, anxiety. But (laughs) uh, when we think about anxiety, it's something that you're worried most of the day, nearly every day about, you know, big things, little things. For at least six months, um, you know where it's impacting you. So, for you know any sort of clinical diagnosis, you have to have some sort of impact on your functioning or distress. Um, and there are some other secondary symptoms, like physical symptoms of anxiety as well that people can encounter. So, you know, feeling tense, the trouble sleeping, the trouble with concentration. Um, a lot of people might feel panicky, have a lot of GI or other physical symptoms. Uh, so, you know, this is, these are things where if you're starting to notice them, the best way to proceed is to, um, to get a consult with a mental health professional or talk to your primary care physician. They're a really good kind of first stop uh, if you're dealing with some of these issues.
0: It's so true. And, and I love how you mentioned the word functioning because even I think that really that's, that's the line where if you're not able to either do the things you were able to do before or if you weren't aren't able to feel happy about or or feel pleasure in the things that normally would have given you pleasure that's an indication that you should you know something's wrong i mean even if you're functioning normally but you're having these these distressing uh, feelings, emotions, or anxiety or whatever. That's not to say you shouldn't, if it's bothering you, you should still maybe seek out some treatment. That's really, if, if you're wondering.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we see, I, I, we call those the working well. The working well, uh, so working well yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of people who, you know, they might be getting to their job, even on time, most of the time they might be, you know, kind of skating by with their work, their relationships, their home life. But um, at the same time, you know they might be, you know, really struggling uh, internally or in some other way. Um, so, you know, it's always good to seek out help. Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned before, help can be a little bit harder to come by right now because mental health is yes. really in demand. Um, so, that's actually one of the things that I like most about working in research is that um, with clinical research trials, there's really no wait. So you're not on a wait list and no insurance is needed. You're actually compensated for your time because you're you're being kind of like a medical hero. You're not only potentially helping yourself, but other people. So um, that's uh, one resource that people don't actually know very much about. I certainly didn't know about it as a clinician before I went into research. So uh, that's something that uh, if you're hitting a lot of roadblocks, Um, You can certainly look into, but I would always encourage people to speak with their PCP first or to go on their insurance um, provider website, which will usually have a provider directory. You can look up some mental health clinicians. That would be psychologists, uh, licensed independent clinical social workers, or licensed mental health counselors.
0: Yeah. And um, also psychology today is a really good resource for for that as well. So Talk a little bit more about uh, clinical trials and how somebody might seek out, seek out that information.
1: Yeah, so um, clinicaltrials.gov is like the main uh, oh. federal clearinghouse for every single you know major clinical trial across different indications. Indications meaning different issues, both medical and psychiatric, that people might be seeking help for. Um, the website itself is a little clunky, um, but okay. <laughs> um, in the There are some search filters that you can use. Um, Now, in the um, greater Boston area, there are a few different research sites. Um, The place that I work, Adams Clinical, is one of the largest, uh, but we're highly specialized. But we do have a lot of the different research institutions. So thinking, you know, all of the teaching hospitals in Boston um, that also conduct research. Now, many of those sites will conduct more um, medical-based research, whereas at Adams, we specialize in more psychiatric um, and neuropsychiatric research. So, um, the best kind of tool that you have at your fingertips is actually Google. <laughs> Most of these studies are, um, are you know, um, kind of optimizing their search engine optimization so that way people can find them, but it can still be a bit of a challenge. Um, so, you know, it's something where you have to kind of be your own advocate if you're really interested in finding a clinical trial, but um, there you know, are options out there.
0: That's really good information because I do I do agree that I think that um, people really don't know about it. They we hear all the time about like oh these studies are done, but really there's people behind that, volunteers behind those studies, just like with the the COVID vaccine where people volunteered to be in that clinical trial, and now we, you know we have this amazing vaccine so quickly for all these things that you hear about, um, there's a clinical trial behind it. So that's that's really great information.
1: Yeah, and the way that clinical trials work is that there are different phases. So this is a really a hot topic item right now with the clinical trials that are happening for COVID, which are in the phase three of the clinical trials. So phase three is when you have already demonstrated that the medication or say in this case, the vaccine is safe and effective for people um, in that target population and they're testing on a much wider variety.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: those are typically the studies that we do at ADAMS, um, whereas, you know, the earlier phases of trials are much smaller populations, more investigational in nature. So by the time you get to phase three, the product is generally safe and effective. And they just want to confirm that it's effective and safe in a larger group of people.
0: Oh, well, thank Thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. And all the sort of websites and things that we're talking about, I will put up in the description of the podcast so people can just click the link and, and, and get there. And um, so before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about some things that you can do right now, right here, right now to maximize your mental health and um, improve your mood, maybe reduce anxiety.
1: Yes. So um, depression and anxiety symptoms, you know, can respond to some self-help measures. So um, a little bit about the brain here. So the brain is hardwired um, for negativity, unfortunately. So it's called the brain of negativity bias. So one thing that happens that might be bad in the course of day is what you remember, not all the other great things that happen. So one thing that's really helpful for a lot of people is to practice gratitude. So, you know, Practicing it like um, highlighting something at the end of your day that was really good to kind of help self correct for some of this negativity bias. Um, you can also do journaling. So, people will keep a gratitude journal, you know, highlighting all the good things that have happened to them that day or that week or that month and then reviewing it. Um, other things that can be actually really helpful that are easy to do is to, believe it or not, to smile and laugh more. So, um, their social psychology research has shown that there's something called the facial feedback hypothesis, where if, even if you're not feeling happy, um, if you smile more, it actually will make your mood a little bit better, not going to make it go away completely, but it can make things better. And similarly, if you look miserable and your face, your facial expressions are very sad looking all the time, you're going to feel sadder. So sometimes even pushing yourself or reminding yourself to smile, which right now can be actually a big challenge because we're wearing masks. So people feel the need to smile less, which can also impact our
0: mood and make us feel worse. So Wow. That just blew my mind. Right. Because I'm always I'm always smiling at people, but there's no there's I, then you realize, Oh my God! They can't see me smiling at them. You have to. We have to learn how to smile. I don't know if you remember from like Tyra Banks. Tyra Banks, right? <laughs> and Jesus, the smiles, right? Yeah. The smiling in your eyes. So we're gonna have to learn how to do that. You just blew my mind. Yeah.
1: Well, it's smiling is also a very social thing. So I mean, right. out when you're hanging out at home alone, yes, you might smile, but usually if it's something that like you're reading or watching that's funny, um, you. Many people are not just smiling just to smile at themselves. So it's really a lot of uh, social kind of interactions are are what kind of pulls for smiling and laughing. And right now, because of the masking, you know, those normal social cues and uh, niceties that we do with people are not necessarily happening. So you really have to kind of remind yourself to smile more. Um, Other things that are really helpful, especially for those that are homebound and who might be uh, you know kind of self-isolating still are to create um, daily rituals so um, your daily routine is kind of what you do rituals is more how you do it right so um, okay. for example um, you know you can have your bedtime routine or in you can also have a ritual to it so rituals are more of these enjoyable and pleasurable ways of doing things so maybe taking the extra time to say put on um, put on a mask for yourself or to you um, you know, for some people, their morning routine might consist of making their bed. Now, I'm not a bed maker, but a lot of people, they say that Yeah, Me neither. Like on the right path, and it's something that brings you. <sighs> so, you know, there's a way to do things throughout your day that gives you a little extra pleasure in doing them. It's really more how you do it than what you're doing. So the routine is what you do. The ritual is how you do it. So very good. A little bit more pleasure in there can be helpful. And then, um, you know, relaxation techniques, Um, things like uh, regulating your breathing, Um, there are different um, sort of muscle relaxation activities you can do, Uh, and I won't get into those too much today, but if you wanna Google progressive muscle relaxation or diaphragmatic breathing, Mm -hmm. um, there's some good videos on how to do those. Um, Also, another thing that is really important right now for some people, is to actually limit and decrease your social media use um, or putting it on a schedule. Um, a lot of people are finding that their anxiety is being really triggered by overconsumption of social media right now, and there's a lot of different um, kind of sources of all say information uh, that may or may not be rooted in facts. So um, kind of allowing yourself time at certain times of the day maybe Um, you know, for some people that might be as little as once a day to kind of, um, you know, catch up on the news and things like that can be helpful for managing some of that anxiety and stress.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice and things that we don't think about. But I know that when I look at too much social media, uh, my mood tends to, to drop a little and I'm like, Oh, what's going on? Everything's fine, you know? And it's like, Oh, I'm looking at Facebook too much or something like that. Um, so that's that's really good. Can you talk a little bit about food and how that interacts with our mood and our anxiety and that sort of thing?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, so food is really important in a, in, a, in a few different ways. So um, there's always the live to eat versus eat to live sort of uh, right dichotomy for a lot of people. Right. Um, I you know really I'm myself a foodie, more of the live to eat kind of variety. But um, yeah. So- there's kind of this joke right now about the quarantine 15. Um, yeah, you know a lot of people have you know put on weight because they aren't necessarily exercising the same. They might not be eating as healthy. And so what often tends to happen when you are under stressful situations is that people tend to crave food that brings them comfort. Now a lot of those comforting foods are tend to be higher in carbohydrates. Um, they're not necessarily your 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 fruits and veggies for most people.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Uh,
1: So, you know, a lot of people will use food as a coping mechanism, especially when they're under
0: stress
1: or um, unhappiness. And so that's one thing that we're we're seeing quite a lot of is that um, people who are depressed or anxious might be eating more or snacking more throughout the day than they ordinarily would, because there's also, you know, some people who turn to food out of boredom. And, um, you know, just the fact that it's there and really available in the kitchen five steps away from your home office if you're working from home can be really difficult for some people. So um, this is a good time for people to reevaluate their relationship with food and really, you know, take some moments to kind of have some introspection on what, you know, relationship, your relationship with food is currently and kind of has been in the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I it's so great. That, that you said all those things because right mind over foodies out there. I mean, this is what I've been saying for, for a while now. And I've even been on the radio saying this. <laughs> that really we have certain thoughts about food that tell us if we'll feel better if we eat this food. And then unfortunately, what happens is that Actually, doesn't work. I mean, comforting ourselves with, with food works very temporarily in the short term while you're eating it, and then, and then, it not only doesn't work, but sometimes creates more of a problem at the other end. So, I think you're spot on with talking about really reevaluating re-evalu- your relationship with food. Well, Doctor Jenica, thank you so much this has been so enlightening and so interesting and unique for my listeners because we usually don't really hear about the research side of things which is so important this is where all the information comes from it doesn't just come out of thin air There are actually smart creative people doing this work so thank you for sharing that with us and um like i said before i'm gonna post you know, all these resources in the description, but can you just quickly tell people if they want to contact you or or learn more about what you do, how they can reach out to you? Yes,
1: yeah, so um, I would encourage you to go to our website, which is adamsclinical.com, or we have a direct referral line that you can call where you'll be able to speak with a doctor within one business day. And that number mm-hmm. is 617 744 one three. Now we're located in Watertown, just outside of Boston. So, um, you know, we're a good resource for everybody in the greater Boston area. And even if research is not something that you're interested in, we're happy to find you, you know, help whether that be therapy or medication management in the community.
0: That is a fantastic resource. So thank you so much for sharing with us, and thank you for talking with me today. Thank take you. care. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with my guest. Neuropsychologist, Dr. Jenica Angler from Adams Clinical. Please visit my webpage at mindoverfood.com if you'd like to listen to more of these Quick bite podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Mind Over Food or are interested in one of my free 15-minute consultations, please visit my website or email me at andy at mindoverfood.com. You can also contact me on Facebook at facebook.com slash mindoverfoodtraining. And I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to Quick Bites by Mind Over Food. I'm Andy Friedman. Keep an ear out for more Quick Bites coming soon.